This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live, wherever you are, whatever you happen to be doing. We're so glad that you are joining us today on a Thursday. Father James Gross, joined by Father Jason Leffer, priest of the Diocese of Fargo from our Grand Fork studio. And we are uh, two of the ones who haven't been busy packing up. And, and uh, although we've yeah. been in numerous aca- uh, locations throughout the course of our 22 years uh, as priests, but uh, yesterday in the Diocese of Fargo was moving day for a number of guys who were beginning their new assignments. And, and you always think about not only the anxiety of the maybe the priest itself and what he's getting into, but um, uh, the difficulty that some parishioners have, that they have a certain attachment to that uh, given priest during his time as pastor and, you know, how are things going to go now, you know, so that's been weighing on my mind, you know, in these last couple of days. Oh, absolutely. You know, transitions are so, so hard. I always, when people ask me, I always equate it, I said, well, it, it's along the lines of getting a divorce from your wife. I mean, that, like, on the personal side of a priest, that's what it feels like, like you're, you're losing your children. You know, I mean, that, it literally, you have that, those emotions and that yeah. pain, that sorrow. Mm-hmm. But there's also, on the other hand, then there's, there's a certain kind of energy that comes with a new challenge or a new, mm-hmm. uh, new assignment that's coming. So there's, again, there's always those blessings and, and crosses right, that go right. with each one. So Both sides of the coin and uh, virtually all of the dioceses within our listening area, Real Presence Radio, around this time of year have these changes happening where those who are either retiring or uh, newly ordained about to take on uh, new assignments are, are moving into places. A couple of guys we know from the Diocese of Bismarck are taking on some new um, challenges going back to seminary. Uh, Father Paul Eberly is going oh. back to your alma mater of Kenrick Lennon. He's a good man and he, in he, 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 he is such a great spiritual director so it's uh the Diocese of Bismarck will suffer with his absence, but the seminary mm-hmm. will benefit from his presence. Yes, and so. also Father John Guthrie is beginning uh, an assignment in Mundelein outside of Chicago yeah. uh, to serve on that seminary faculty. So some exciting things happening out there, which for the people in Bowman and New Salem, it's it's uh, sad for them, but they have new shepherds coming uh, to, uh, you know, to minister to the, those flocks as well. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, today is what I like to call Literary Thursday. It's a segment <laughs> where my uh, my pal here particularly likes to geek out on the various things that we discuss. And uh, in order to address our topic today, we have Nancy Gord with us. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Well, thank you so much. I hope that you're able to um, uh, enjoy some of these uh, laid-back summer days, uh, maybe with your reading list of things to get around to that you haven't had as much time to do in other parts of the year. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's been great. I've been doing a great deal of reading, and actually what we're going to be discussing today, The Diary of Anne Frank, I went back and reread the actual diary. For several years, I taught the play to eighth graders. And so there, there is a slight difference, of course, between the diary and the drama, right. you know, both of which I can address. But, no, it's interesting. A, a great read, when you reread it, you find so many new things. So just you know, just get our readers on board. So we're talking about the diary of Anne Frank, right? Well, this is a, a true, true diary. It, it deals with um, in in Holland, a young girl and her family, teenage girl, just thirteen years old to fifteen years old, were uh, Jews who went into hiding once the Nazis came to take them away to uh, concentration camps, and how her father had set this up, and and uh, it's her blow by blow 
account of what their experience of being hidden within the walls of a of a building for two years, um, always living in the fear of being found out by the Nazis. Now, you know, w one of the things, Nancy, is I looked, I did some research on this myself. I did not realize, I was unaware that there were um, all these different copies of the diary, that there's like the her copy, then she actually did a revised copy herself, which I, I never knew about. And her father, Frank, he actually did some revision. And then there was the the Society of Anne Frank, and they went in and did some kind of revision. So how, what what is it then, like if you're going to pick up the book, what what is it that we're actually reading? Are we actually reading her her straight diary? Or, is it, well, or has it been edited? Or what what is it? Well, I think her father did some editing because, of course, this, these are the intimate thoughts of a, a young girl becoming a woman. And, of course, some of the things she wrote about her mother were very harsh and very, excuse me, judgmental. And so some of that is left in the published work. But I think her father wanted to temper that a little bit. So I think we, we, what we really get is how very precocious she was, how insightful she was, mm -hmm. uh, what a good writer she was. And a lot of these entries are not short little paragraphs. I mean, they are long letters to her diary, and she always started them, Dear Kitty. And uh, I, I think the reason why this has been such a well-known publication is because it's so universal in its nature. The struggle between parent and child as the child is coming of age. And I think everybody can understand that. I mean, Anne bemoans so much. She goes, oh, they don't understand me, and everything I do and say is wrong. Well, her mother might say the same thing. You know, she doesn't understand me. Everything I do and say is wrong. Well, and then you so gotta, you have that. You have to think right? about the dynamic, too, because, um, you know, Anne is known as, as a chatty Kathy. I mean, she was constantly oh, yeah. bubbly talking. If you, and they're in a situation with too many people in a small space where you have to be quiet or you're going to be found out. And so you can imagine how often she's being disciplined for just being herself. <laughs> right. And, and one of the themes to in this, and I think so many people, unfortunately, through history have, have had to go through this, but, you know, this being tested through confinement and actually the courage to face one's own experience. And this is very notable in this book, but she is, what should we say, locked up. And in the diary, it is a little more apparent than in the play. They did have some freedom of movement throughout that building, you know, if time allowed, if workers were out of the warehouse and so on. But, uh, I mean, you're pent up with these people who really thought it's an ordinary life you may want nothing to do with. We're visiting with Nancy Gord, who's telling us about uh, the diary of a young girl, uh, the diary and the life of Anne Frank. And just to reset things, Anne was born in 1929 in Frankfurt, Germany. Her family moved to Amsterdam when she was still very young. And uh, you mentioned something that was intriguing, that um, as you worked with eighth grade students, uh, especially with the play and, and with the story, um, share with us a little bit how that struck them, that the, the, uh, the protagonist, you might say, as someone exactly their age as they were considering her life and her writings. Well, what is so great about a carefully chosen curriculum is that it matches the age group well. And the students totally understand what it's like to be at odds with your parents, especially as you're trying to become your own person and to somewhat, you know, exert your independence. 
And so they definitely relate to that. But what I always notice is that the, there's a great deal of dramatic irony. And that is when, of course, the reader knows something the characters in the work do not. Or the people in the audience know something the characters on stage do not. And so we know she doesn't make it. But when she talks about, I'll definitely let my children read this author, uh, I want to be a journalist, you know, all the things that all the people in the annex want to do when they get out, we know that doesn't happen. We know she's taken away and that she doesn't grow up and have a family. But the students so desperately want someone else to survive other than Otto Frank. Because he's the one who carries on his daughter's legacy. Well, I, I'd say, look, I, I had the experience of, of a teacher giving this to me as an eighth grader. It was my first exposure to it. And, and I, I mean, I, what you're talking about right now, Nancy, is so true. I mean, it, it affected me that dramatically as an eighth grader. Like, just, I, I found myself even pleading with God, knowing the end, that she doesn't make it, but throughout reading it, pleading with God that she would make it. Like, come on, God, you, you need to do something here, change something. So she's got to make it. How could she not make it, you know? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that that's a testament to the importance of literature, wouldn't you say? I mean, the fact that this diary exists, in a certain way, she did make it. I mean, she's made it bigger than maybe she could have if, if she hadn't made it from the Nazis. I mean, she's, she has affected humanity in a much grander scale. Well, there's the quote from the diary, and uh, I think it's, April 1944, they were taken, and of course, in the play, they kind of deal with, the way they deal with it is Otto Frank finds the diary, and then in a flashback goes through these different entries and episodes, and then at the end, and he's in the annex with me, one of the several people who helped them in hiding, and uh, he closes the book. But, you know, there is no last entry in the diary, because, of course, she writes what she would have written. And there's always the danger of being found. There have been thieves in the building. There are warehouse people who are suspicious. And so they always have that fear. But, of course, there's no final entry, as in, now the Nazis have come. Right? So they mm -hmm. dealt with that in the play. But there is, uh, it's in 1944, where she says, I want to keep on living even after my death. And when you read that, and you know, everyone knows the name of Anne Frank. She is an identifiable, complete person we know. Sometimes the vastness of hearing the horrible tragedies and numbers of lives lost, it is so overwhelming. But when you bring it down to a single person that we know so well, because you, she, she gives us her intimate thoughts and her feelings and her and, reactions. And what is so fascinating about that is the history of how it came. It, it was not a given thing that this was going to be published. I mean, it actually, it got rejected numerous times by different publishing houses before uh, it actually broke through and, and then became, and, and, and it took a, a publishing house in the United States in the 80s to really make mm -hmm. it popular. So, mm -hmm. I, and it is right. interesting how there was a really good chance that we wouldn't even know about this right now. Yeah. Well, there is, I, I think Anne addresses this, too, in the diary, that there is, that, because they were getting news from the outside, from the people who helped them. And one thing that is shown, too, is the, the nobility of the good Dutch people who did so much and risked their own lives and safety to help mm -hmm. people in hiding. 
Yeah. Well, we'll continue this conversation right after uh, taking a quick break as we're visiting with Nancy Gord about uh, the diary of Anne Frank, looking at these uh, heroic uh, measures and uh, more to come after this break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Choose the number one nursing program in the nation, the University of Mary. Of more than 2,000 nursing programs nationwide, Mary is ranked number one by the National Benchmarking Service Mountain Measurement. 100% of our graduates pass their certification on the first try. And eligible nursing students receive their senior year of tuition free. Choose the best nursing program in the nation. Check us out at umary.edu nursing. That's umary.edu nursing. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Do you want to make sure Real Presence Radio continues to receive your support in perpetuity? This can now be accomplished by establishing an individual endowment account in your name with a minimum gift of $10,000. A distribution will be made annually in your name to assure future generations will continue to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the mission of Real Presence Radio. To learn more about establishing an individual endowment for Real Presence Radio, a gift which will last in perpetuity, Please call me, Mike Kidrowski, at 701-290-4503. State tax credits may apply in some states. Let's get started. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sapo with Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision offers eye exams for the whole family, contact lenses, glasses, and vision therapy services. Our specialized vision therapy program works to improve how the eyes work together as a team. We work with our patients to improve reading difficulties, lazy eyes, eye turns, and focusing problems, which can be detrimental to performance in the classroom and on the job. You can learn more about our mission at lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of the Real Presence Radio Network. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Father James Gross and Father Jason Leffer joining you from our Grand Forks studios. Just a reminder that in case you happen to miss the uh, live uh, broadcasts of the local programming here on Real Presence Radio, there are a couple of different options. You can always download a podcast through uh, the app as well as through the website, realpresenceradio.com. There are also encore presentations that are made available, rebroadcast through the day on Saturdays uh, in order of the days of the week, beginning at 6 a.m. Central, 5 a.m. Mountain Time on your Real Presence Radio station. Uh, We are speaking about one of the most influential characters of the 20th century, Anne Frank, um, the diary that uh, has been published, the various works that have come about from this. And um, Father Leffer and I just off air were talking about this uh, great hope that she embodies in the midst of such a, uh, a stark and, and, and uh, you know, such a setting filled with despair. There's a, a brief uh, quote that I want to share from her diary from April of 1944. 
I finally realized that I must do my schoolwork to keep from being ignorant, to get on in life, to become a journalist, because that's what I want. I know I can write, but it remains to be seen whether I really have talent. Well, <laughs> we've, we've seen that part. And if I don't have the talent to write books or newspaper articles, I can always write for myself. But I want to achieve more than that. I can't imagine living like Mother, Mrs. Von Don, and all the women who go about their work and are then forgotten. I need to have something besides a husband and children to devote myself to. I want to be useful or bring employment to enjoyment to all people, even those I've never met. I want to go on living even after my death. That was the quote that uh, Nancy brought up. And that's why I'm so grateful to God for having given me this gift, which I can use to develop myself and to express all that's inside me. When I write, I can shake off all my cares. My sorrow disappears. My spirits are revived. But, and that's a big question, will I ever be able to write something great? Will I ever become a journalist or a writer? Uh, just this this uh, sense of hope really shines through, you know, as a light in such great darkness. Oh, it does. And she wrote so many things that for her age were just brilliant. Uh, but, but again, the irony is that we know how very famous her words are. And here she was wondering, will I ever be able to write well? Will I ever be able to do this? And, and look at what she has accomplished after her death. Uh, one of the lines that comes from one of her entries is that she says she ends her prayers with, I thank you, God, for all that is good and dear and beautiful. And this is a person who is in hiding, is suffering deprivation, goes through every day bored, fearful, hungry, irritable, joyful at different turns. And she can end her day like that. Also, there's another quote that I jotted down, and I think I think this is one of the greatest themes of the work, he who has courage and faith will never perish in misery. And the importance of that, when one is undergoing such difficulty, you know, whether whether we say a prayer under our breath, whether we grasp a rosary, whether we fall to our knees and reach out, how important it is to have something to believe in, something greater than yourself. Um, our God, our Father. You know, you know and, Nancy, we had uh, you had mentioned that you know the first book we ever did was the Book Thief, and it talked about right. the suffering of the people. And I know, and I think you wanted to, um, yeah, just use Anne here to demonstrate just the people themselves how much they suffered uh, through this. Well, absolutely. And again, every time you read a bit a book, you focus on different things or you pick up different ideas. And, and this time, as I went through it, I really noticed how much the Dutch people themselves suffered. I mean, she would mention looking out a window, glancing out a dirty window, and seeing the ragged children, you know, who had lost their parents in the bombings that took place between the British and the Germans. Uh, She got accounts from the people who tended to their needs about what was going on. There was an interesting thing that, that as a teacher I noted, that before students could take their, these are Dutch students, could take their exams or go on to the next year. They had to pledge loyalty to the Nazi regime. And 80% refused to do so. And they were sent to German labor camps. And this is recounted in her diary. And of course, you know, the foodstuffs being depleted, you know, not being able to get proper clothing. The people, there are six primarily who helped them in hiding. 
And one of them, Meet Beast, my goodness, lived to be over 100. I know for years when I taught the play, I'd say, do you know that Meet is still alive? Wow. Because she lived, to, and, and she never was imprisoned or accosted for any reason for helping the Jews. So she was quite fortunate. But, you know, just on the practical side of that, you just, I mean, for those of us who are listening right now, do you know how hard this is to, to I mean, because it's not like there was food supplies. It's not like e- even the waste that would come out of it. I mean, you just think on the practical side, those people who are helping them, every single sacrifice they had to make to keep these people hidden, to keep them fed, to keep, I mean, I mean, I was just going through that last evening as I was thinking about this in preparation, just how every little detail, like they talked about how they had to, like any little scrap that was left over, they'd have to burn it or something. Nobody could see it or, you know, or they'd have to find out ways of making just basic daily things not appear like there's this many people hiding in the wall. And, I mean, it, it's a miracle that they, they remained hidden for over two years, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it was, it was 25 months. And, uh, and you're talking about noises and how do you manage your day and how do you prepare food. And, you know, she goes into detail about, you know, sanitation needs and everything else because those have to be dealt with. And how do you do it in a quiet, unnoticeable way? And, and you know, there were some, some flip-ups. You know, there were some noises. And, and like I said, they did. The play makes them very confined. But in actuality, the house that was at the back of the business and the upper floors of it, they would sometimes go up and, and down to lower floors. So it really makes it look in the play like they can never go past that bookcase, that swinging bookcase that kind of is in a cupboard that hides the access to the Mm -hmm. secret annex. But they did move about a little bit more. But it was so dangerous because at any time someone could report them. Even if somebody goes, you know what, I've seen shadows in the windows. Maybe you should check it out to see if there are people hiding in there. Is there any conclusive theory or idea about how they really did get found? Do you know, I don't know that that has ever been determined. You know, there there were some thieves who came on. Oh, people were breaking into everything. They were so desperate. And there were some thieves that had entered the warehouse areas, office areas. Um, there was a, a warehouse man who was, I don't want to say, maybe a little suspicious in the questions he asked, but I don't know that it's ever been determined or at least named okay. who literally... Mm-hmm gave the address to, yeah. I think it was the Green Police, they were called, who came to get them. Uh, and, of course, you know, Otto Frank, the only survivor, and, again, you have this father figure, and we've been talking about fathers during this year of St. Joseph, and, and here he is. He was going to be the protector and set everything up and make sure his children had a chance to survive, and he is the only one who returns. You know, uh, the Van Dans and the, and the dentist who lived with them too for most of that time you know but again on that like that idea that he's gonna make sure they survive it's like i mean even in her writing i mean it's it's it's, it's pretty incredible the, how Anne writes about her affectionate relationship with her father i mean it just oh, i mean geez. it's it, it's just powerful but then to say like well his objective was achieved i mean Anne has lived on you know? yes in this very ironic way that she has survived She's, she is world-known, and the effect, the play had a great effect on the Europeans. I think it started to be staged maybe in 1956. The people who wrote the play are a screenwriting married couple, 
And uh, they took two years, and they went through eight drafts, I think, to present something to Otto Frank and before I think he gave it the okay. But they have talked also about how very, very difficult it was to read that book mm-hmm. and bring her story. You know, and I, and I just, you know, going back, we started with the universal themes and, you know, something else on this that um, I, I just can't stress enough because history kind of gets rewritten depending on who's writing it or saying it as we go. But, and I think of Pope John Paul II, like, you know, he was like, well, how are we going to defeat Nazism? Well, he's going to write, keep the poems and the language and the culture alive or whatever. But I, you know, just think what, what's the absolute importance of this is that it actually continues to be performed and the book continues to be read. And I mean, all of humanity needs to hear about this because how, I mean, it just, uh, I can hardly ever grasp that one human being would do this to another. You know, I mean, I can, mm-hmm. my, my soul cannot grasp that we would uh, do this to one another, you know, and, and I think this is such a powerful, beautiful way for humanity to be educated on what happens if we if we really do lose touch with the principles that God has given us. And you it is such a great testament to youth that whenever one looks at what's going on in the world that is imperfect, you can count on the goodness of people. Well, and what's the her, energy yeah. and the idealism of youth. Well, what's her famous quote that she, uh, I'm not going to be able to say it myself right now, but that she she said, in spite of all this, I believe in that basically every human being in their heart is good. Or, or Do you remember right, that and, goes? and that is actually at the end of the play, I think, because it is a flashback. As he finishes reading her diary, he says the lines that Goodrich and Hackett wrote for the play that, I still believe, in spite of everything, that people are really good at heart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Nancy, for sharing these uh, insights regarding this important work of the Diary of Anne Frank, and uh, blessings to you as you continue through these summer months. Well, thank you very much. It's always do, a pleasure you, to join Nancy, you. do you have any idea what the next book might be? Do you know, I'm thinking of uh, The Giver. It's another coming-of-age uh, young uh, adult. All right. Theme. Okay. Wonderful. Lois Lowry, I believe, is the uh, author yes, of it that is. work. It Very is. good. And that, that inspires a lot of discussion as well. So our, our listeners could, if they want to, they could uh, read The Giver between now and next month. I so. believe so. <laughs> get, yep. get a quick head start on things. Very yes. good. And also the, um, the building that Anne Frank was in hiding with uh, her companions and her family is a museum now, one of the most visited uh, sites in the, uh, in, in the Netherlands. So, uh, well, as and we, absolutely. Yeah, you mm-hmm. can do a virtual tour of that online. Very good. Thank you again, Nancy. God bless. Yeah, you have a great day. Well, he's the saint who survived on locusts and honey. Why is his life an example important for us in today's world? Stay with us for our next discussion coming up next on Real Presence Live. Live, engaging, and local. This is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network.